So how are we all t this evening? Or well, not this evening, this afternoon. It's sort of like brunch really, isn't it? It's sort of halfway in between. <laughs> it's not as hot as last week. Yeah, it's still hot, yeah. I just remember last week with all the rain that we had, that I got here, I opened the door and the heat just went whoosh, right up. Very, very warm. I was talking to Sandra, she's been up in um, the Hawke's Bay, uh, playing for the opera up there. And uh, she, I was talking to her a couple of nights ago at about 10, 10.30 at night, and she said it was still 27 degrees. So it had been a very, very hot and sticky day. So, uh, yeah. But uh, the series on Ephesians, hasn't it been fantastic? And uh, the first two has just been absolutely incredible. And I really enjoyed what um, Sam brought last week and uh, particularly about the adoption part, and uh, I just want to look at a little bit more of that a little bit later on, but some powerful, powerful things in this book, Ephesians, and it's very closely related to Colossians as well, if you read them closely together, but there's so much built into these words, into these pages, and uh, he's layering it, layer upon layer, precept upon precept, he's actually building something here. And it is really quite an amazing book. It's really the, the book of the season, if you like. This is the season that we're in. So we need to be able to read it with eyes that we can see. That it's not just a reading words on a page, but allowing the Holy Spirit to really speak into our hearts. Because it'll change us if we do. Right, what I'll do is just like Sam did last week, it's really good to actually read from the read through the passage because it puts it all into, you know, perspective, if you like, rather than just reading out just one verse or two verses. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to be adopted as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him, this is the verse that I'll be starting from, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. And it goes on, that, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in which we are, which are on the earth, in him. You know, Paul's sentences tend to not have a full stop, they comma, and you've got to almost continue to read it <laughs> just to get through it, but to understand what he's actually fully saying. It starts off in verse 7, in him, and I know Greg covered this also in the very first um, time, but uh, if you weren't there, it's such a powerful, two powerful words, in him. Did you know in Ephesians itself, it mentions the word in 
him or in Christ or uh, in himself or in love or in the beloved 17 times in the first two chapters of Ephesians. So you think he's trying to say something? It's, it's, it's quite incredible when there's something mentioned two or three times, but 17 times I went through and I counted them all and I thought, wow, this is so powerful. In. So what does it mean? In him. It's our starting point. It has to be in him. If it's not, if it's in ourselves, we have a problem. Because in ourselves, we can't do anything. But in him changes everything. To be saved, to be come into the kingdom, it had to be through him, did it not? And so it's not just a starting point. It's actually a point for every day. Because if it's not, sometimes we get saved and we think, that's it. Now I can take over and do it in my own strength. And that's where we have a problem. But we have to be found in him. Look, look at what uh, Paul wrote in Philipp Philippians 3, 7-9a. But, but what things were gained to me, these things I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. That word knowledge is about experiential knowledge. It's not about what you know up here. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Isn't that powerful? So Paul recognized that it's not just the starting thing. It's actually every single day that we live on this earth, we need to be found in him. It's he's the source of everything. The trouble is we don't always see it that way. But it is so powerful. And our weakness, our weaknesses, is really the key. And we can misinterpret things, eh? I was just thinking back, you know, I used to do a lot of declaring over my life, these scriptures. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthened me. Where was the emphasis? I. I can do all things through Christ Jesus. You know, <laughs> is it surely not I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? See where the emphasis is? But when, when I was learning to declare these things, we were brought up saying, you know, you declare the scriptures over and over yourself, over and over and over. And it really became more of a self-focused thing rather than what he did. It's funny where you emphasize the words. I don't know whether you saw that thing on the Globe uh, Theatre in London and how they did, you know, to be or not to be. That is the question. And the first actor gets up and says, to be or not to be. That is the question. The other one gets up and says, no, 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 that's wrong. It's to be or not to be. And they go right through every single word emphasizing the different ones. It's quite funny. It really is. But it's where you emphasize the words that are so, so important. So is the focus on us or the emphasis on us or on Christ? It's quite a real shock when I suddenly realized a lot of my stuff that I'd learnt by rote was skewith. We have to be found in him. 
not in ourselves. Because that's where the problem starts. Did you know Saul's name meant, means great one? But Paul's name means small, little, humble one. Isn't it amazing? The change is only one letter, but its, it's whole significance changes. You know, sometimes it's just one thing that we change in here with God, and it'll change everything. But it's not what we can do. Paul, or well, Saul, thought he could do everything. Very well educated, enthusiastic, over the top. You know, he did everything he could, and he thought he was serving God. But when God humbled him, he recognized the strength actually was in weakness, not in his strength, but in God's strength. And that's beautiful. And that's the same position that we have to come to. And as a Christian, I was taught it's about us being strong. But it's not. It's actually about Christ being strong in us. In our weakness, he is strong. Such a beautiful thing. It really is. And Paul knew what it was to be living in a humble way. And sometimes people think that's arrogant. <laughs> and yet he lived his life and demonstrated what it was to live a humble life. You see, this in him is all internal. It's not relational. Sorry, it's not external. It's all about relation. It's all about something that happens on the inside, being in him. And so much of my Christian walk was all about him out there. You know, this external thing that's out there, but actually we've got to be found in him. The hope of glory is where? In us. Christ, the hope of glory, in us. It's so far different from what I was brought up. And in fact, a lot of Christians like that, you see them praying, it's somewhere out there. But actually, we can pray from a position from within us because we are found in him. Colossians 2, verse 6 to 7 says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So walk in him, rooted and built up, in him, established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Such a powerful key is thanks, thanksgiving, eh? Do we have a thankful, grateful heart? God is attracted, or the Holy Spirit is attracted to a grateful, thankful heart. Not a grumpy one or not a, you know, a heart that is so hard. But when we are humbled, when we are, when we are open, you know, the Holy Spirit is attracted to it, to be found in him. Isn't that powerful? That just those two words, in him, has so much significance. It's our starting point, but it's more than our starting point. It's our whole life, right to the very end. It says, we, in him, we have redemption through his blood. Notice it said, we have, 
not we had, or not maybe or possibly or later on. We have. It's a statement of truth. It's a stake in the ground for us to know that in him we have redemption through his blood. We have been saved. Did you know we have been saved? We are saved and we are being saved. And Paul says that. We somehow get stuck on we have been saved. And that's where we camp. That's where we get stuck. But it's actually a whole process. It's not about you're not going to get to heaven or not. It's about the process of maturity of what God wants to do in us, where he changes us and transforms us. The the word redemption is to redeem, ransom, paid in full, salvation, deliverance, or to buy someone back from slavery, brought back by a near relative. How many have read the book of Ruth? Isn't it the most beautiful book? She was an outsider. She was an outcast. But her heart was towards. And she got brought back by you know, a relative through, the, through her mother-in-law who bought her. And it's the same thing with us. We were outsiders. We were not able to, but we got brought back by a close relative, our father. Isn't that beautiful? In Mark, it says, Mark 10.45, For even though the Son of Man, oh, sorry, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, sorry, to be served, but to serve, to give, oh, sorry, I've written that wrong. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom for many. So we've been brought with a price, the blood of Christ. You know how we can take that for granted? We can skim it off, oh yeah, we know the salvation story, bang, you know. We can become very, very familiar with it, but it has no effect in our lives anymore. And yet it is the most important and powerful thing, the blood of Christ and what it can do for our lives how it radically changes us and breaks every chains. There's just so much about the blood of Christ that we can just write off. It's, we can become so familiar. Ephesians 2.13 says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So the blood of Christ took away the separation that was there between God and man. Matthew 26, 28 says, For this is my blood, the new covenant, which is shed for the remission of sins. So his blood washes us clean from some sin, from all sin, from all sin. 1 Peter 1, uh, verse 18 to 19 says, Knowing... You know what knowing is? It's about having a deep conviction or a revelation of something. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. Silver and gold, we place a lot of value on that, don't we? But it's only earthly. But there's so much more that is not of this realm that has got so much more value. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold 
from your aimless conduct received by the traditions of your fathers. Whoa. We can get so caught up in tradition. We don't have to go to a traditional church to be caught up in tradition. The traditions of your fathers. But with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. What do we place the value on? The blood of Christ. Boy. There is power in the blood of Christ to break every chain. His blood demolishes all the strongholds, it says in Colossians 2.15. It cancelled the debt that we could not pay. It was paid over 2,000 years ago, but it is still one of the most powerful, it is the most powerful force ever to conquer this world. And he is called love. It really has such a powerful thing. You know, when I came to Christ, we had such a watered-down version of the gospel. We just sort of just come out of the charismatic 1970s. I, I got saved around 1980. And yet it was all come to Christ or come to God to have all your needs met. That was the focus. Very little about repentance and who you are. Very little about the blood, if, if you like. It was all about coming to God to get all your needs met. And they came in their droves. And then they left in their droves. Why? Because what was promised didn't seem to work out for them. They wanted everything met. They wanted their list met. And yet if the blood of Christ has an effect upon our lives, it changes us radically. I saw a lot of people walk away disappointed and disillusioned because it's all based on earthly things, not on the power of God and what he did for us. It was so sad, it really was. There has to be a revelation within us, or when we read passages like that, it becomes a lot of nice words that we brush over. Has the blood of Christ had an effect upon your life? Has it radically changed you? Or is it just something that you read? That's why we can become so familiar with it. I use the blood of Christ. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. It changes us totally and radically. The power of it. In Revelations it says, Revelations 12, 11, And they overcame him. And it's Satan and the accuser, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives until death, or to, to the death. Notice the order. Their testimony was a direct result of the power or the work that the blood of the Lamb had in their lives. Their testimony wasn't about anything else. It's what God had done for them. What Jesus Christ, the blood, had done radically. And it caused such an effect that they were so willing to lay their lives down. That's how powerful it was. A people from all walks of life being radically changed. And the blood of Christ had an incredible effect upon their lives. They knew they were redeemed, they knew they were forgiven. 
They knew that they were Christ was being formed and shaped in them. And their testimony was not about themselves. It was what the blood of Christ had done in them. Isn't that powerful? What is our testimony about? Is it about ourselves? Or is it about what he is doing in us? Galatians 4, 5 says, To redeem those who were under the Lord, that we might receive the adoptions as sons. I love what uh, Sam brought last week about the adoption. Uh, so I was looking up a little bit more about it, and uh, I was talking to Paul before about it, and it was just so powerful, some of the things. You know, Paul and Peter called it being born again. But Paul called it being adopted. You see, in the Western world, we tend to have this negative thing about the word adoption. We tend to think of abandonment. We think of nobody wanted you. We think of, you know what I mean? Now, hear me, it's, it's not about that with everybody. But sometimes in Western culture, we have this negative thing. But in Roman culture, it was the exact opposite. It was so powerful. Listen to this. The Roman redoption was very, very costly and had lots of legal requirements. How many here have faced legal issues with lots and lots of clauses that you didn't know were there and you were trying to get around them? Or a building consent that has uh, <laughs> a lot of different things there. You know what I mean? Lots of red tape, lots of documents that had to be filled out, lots of things going backwards and forwards between a judge or a, um, a magistrate. There was lots of things that went on. It was actually very, very costly. It was actually a very difficult process. Did you know that a Roman father had the right to kill their own natural children? They had, their, they had a legal right to kill their own children and disinherit them. But with an adopted child, they couldn't. They were protected. They couldn't be, and they couldn't lose their inheritance. Isn't that incredible? So it's better to be adopted. <laughs> but isn't that a beautiful picture? Because when you think about it, our Heavenly Father killed His own Son that we could become adopted into his family. Not only that, it was very costly. He paid the full price that we could not pay. Not only that, he wiped out all the regulations that had to be met that we wouldn't have to go through all of that. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And that wasn't even a Hebrew Hebrew picture, that was a Roman one, a secular thing. But God had it all beautifully worked out. We are adopted. Isn't it a beautiful picture? Then there's Ezekiel 16. God's love toward us when we couldn't. Remember Ezekiel 16 about the God is passing by and he sees this baby lying there, still soiled in the, in the blood that it was born in. It was helpless. It couldn't do a thing. But God looks down and loves the child. 
and does everything for the child and clothes the child and, and washes the child and, and helps the child and feeds the child and does everything and blesses so abundantly. That's God's love toward you. Sometimes we may feel abandoned, but God's love is toward you, not against you. Then there's 1 Corinthians 1.18 that says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the what? It is the power of God. This whole message, really, Ephesians, is foolishness when you think about it. It's so not worldly, <laughs> but it's so true. The way that God does things and the way God thinks is totally opposite. But this whole thing is through the power of God that we're saved, we're redeemed, bought by the blood of Jesus, adopted as children, his children, brought into an incredible inheritance that God has for us. All we have to do is receive it. Also, the forgiveness of sins. So it says there, in him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. This is a big one, this one. The forgiveness of sins. 1 John 1, uh, 7-9 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Christ, Jesus, cleanses us from all sin. Everybody say all. Not some, not part of, maybe or possibly. All sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I just watched the other day the lady in the van. Have, have, how many people have seen that? It's quite a sad story, actually. This lady, that uh, elderly lady that's driving around the van, and, and gradually as the story goes on, you uncover her story. And how she was a concert pianist. She played for the proms and done all sorts of things. But her mind got skewed after a while. And she, she's driving around and she hits this person. Well, she was actually, it wasn't her fault. That, that person came and hit themselves against her. <laughs> there was an accident anyway. And the person died. She panics and she runs. She spent the rest of her life running and hiding and asking God to forgive her over and over and over and over and over and over again. And they just picked up the last 15 years of her life, in that, you know, living in that van as a fugitive, twisted because of not being able to for receive forgiveness. Isn't it sad? There's so many people that are twisted because of unforgiveness or the lack of being able to receive forgiveness. We can, can do the same thing to us. We can hold things against others and not forgive. And it can tear us apart, more than it can tear them apart. Because unforgiveness has a terrible thing, that the root of bitterness. Once it's got a hold of, it doesn't like to let go. Its, it's tentacles, if you like, grows right in. You have to get it out. It's painful. It's hard. But so necessary to receive forgiveness and also to be forgiven, 
to know that we are forgiven. So why was Paul covering these basics? You think, well, the blood of the lamb and, the, and the, about the, uh, being forgiven. These are all basic things, and he's talking to a church that should know all of that. It's so important that, you see, if our foundations are wonky at the start, we can't come into maturity because we'll have an immature state within us. And we can't progress there. And you said the whole book of Ephesians is about line upon line. On It starts about the foundations and it works its way through right to the bride of Christ. There is a progression, there is a process that he's working through. But he has to cover the basics because if you don't get that right, we will be skew with. And we will see things through a distilted filter that will skew with everything else. So it's really important, do we know what we're saved from and do we know what we're saved into? We have to really have a revelation of our true state. If we don't, there are problems later on. See, our fleshly nature is, and dare I say it, corrupt, it's deceitful, it's blind to the ways of God, it's self-sufficient. I can do this. It's proud. It's arrogant in nature. Stubborn. And if we sometimes focus on that, actually, there's some good in us. Actually, I'm, I'm not a bad person, really. That actually really does distort it more than what we think. Because we have this underlying belief that I can fix it. True? Isaiah states, our good works or our righteousness are as what? Filthy rags. Now you might say to this, well this is not very PC. It's not very loving to say this. And so what the church has done over the, over the decades is to water it all down to make it more acceptable. And hence why Christians have come in struggling because they're carrying guilt, unforgiveness, not sure if God's really forgiven them. All these skew things that have skew-whiffed everything, and so they can't come into the maturity that God is asking them for because this has never really been dealt with through the blood of Christ. And so we're stuck at the beginning. It's funny, the world that we've been brought up in now, it's all about being PC. It's gone to such an extreme. It really has. And yet we need to know our true state because once we realize what our true state really is, that there is no good in us, that our whole fleshly mentality is anti-God, actually we can come into freedom. I know it sounds crazy. But as I said, the ways of God are totally opposite to the ways of man. Because when you realize you can't do anything to save yourself, you can't do anything, there's nothing in here that can do it, it has to be him, actually that brings a lot of freedom. God, I can't do it, but you can. 
That's the most beautiful thing because then you stop striving to try and be someone. How many Christians there are trying to be or trying to work it out? I used to be one of those. I used to try and work it out. When I came to the end of myself, that's when God really started to move. And it's all about Paul saying, you know, about his weakness. Actually, weakness is a good thing because his strength becomes everything in you. There's such a liberty and a freedom that sometimes, you know, that's where, you know, Greg often talks about coming into his rest. When you try and do it yourself, you can't enter that rest. But when you come into the freedom of what he is doing in you, actually, it's a position of rest. And it's the most beautiful thing. I've only tasted a small portion of it. When I was ill for those two years, and I couldn't do much, and I was lying in bed in pain, the most beautiful thing was I couldn't do anything. And yet his love surrounded me like I'd never known before. It was beautiful. The pain didn't go away, but his love washed over me and over me. I couldn't do anything, but what he did in me was changing me and causing me to see so much more. This born-again experience has the power to set us free from sin and ourselves. We have to be set free from ourselves. We can't do it ourselves. So what are we saved into? To better lives? To get others saved? To discover my personal destiny? Or to wait until we get to heaven? You see, the salvation part is just the beginning process. It's not the end. But a lot of people have camped around the salvation experience. As beautiful as it was and is, there's so much more. It's about being transformed into his image. It's about becoming his bride. It's about the eternal purpose. It's about God doing this internal work that is changing us and transforming us moment by moment. And yet we can be camped right back here and not moving. And you see, you wonder why there are a lot of Christians that get so disillusioned, thinking there has to be more than this. And yet they've never come into the fullness or the understanding because their eyes have to be open to what it's all about, the maturity of the church. And Paul covers more of that in chapter 4. So I won't go too much into that part. Yet Paul is encouraging the Ephesians to pursue everything they have to see and understand what God is wanting for them to come into. As I said, later on he talks about the eyes of our heart having to be enlightened. And somebody else will will cover that. But that's such a key. I pray that over myself, over and over again, I've realized how blind I have been. And how I need to have my eyes opened. My spiritual eyes to be able to see and know and understand. To grasp to have that revelation of that deep work of what God is trying to show me and do in me. We can't see it in the natural eye. No matter how long you've been a Christian, you can't see it in the natural way.
It's an old mode of operation, the things that we've operated out of the past. And God's bringing us into a new way where we can't carry it on our own understanding or strength or capacity. Our old, if our old nature is corrupt, right? Our old nature is corrupt. When we came to Christ, we had an encounter with God. Who did the work? Our old nature or Christ? Christ. But somehow, sometimes in our mentality, we think we can carry on in the flesh, carrying on past that point. Can we? No, we can't. And yet we've tried so much to carry on in our own flesh. And yet, if Christ did that work, and now he, he calls us to be living in him, it has to be him in every part through the Spirit doing the work in us. The flesh we cannot walk in. The flesh is corrupt. The flesh is not going to get us to where God wants us to go to. It's anti-God. It's anti, it's, it doesn't, um, it will not lead us there. And Paul had to challenge some of the churches there. You started off in the spirit, but you're now trying to finish off in the flesh. It's such a trap for us all that we try and do things, work things out in our own ways. And the result is, what's the church today known for? Arguing, splits, um, offences, unforgiveness, bitterness, my ministry, self-orientation, my position, striving to climb the ladder, make me known, jealousy, gossip, judgment, harshness. Ah, the list could go on. I mean, not all churches are known like that, but a lot of them. The world, this is what the concept of the world is when they look at the church. But God wants to bring us into maturity, into his love. Correct? That the world may know what? Yeah, it's his love in us that the people are going to notice. That's going to change the world. Not how much we know. It's what Christ has done in us. That's the living testimony that they're going to see. And boy, when they see that, it's going to change things so radically. Uh, Colossians 3, 1 to 3 says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things on the earth. For you died. Have we died? For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's a powerful scripture. To come into that, we have to die to ourselves, which we can't. It has to be him in us doing it. Everything here comes out of him being in us, doing the work. And this is what I failed to see, that there was so much more. I was born again. I had an amazing experience with God right at the beginning. But then it became more about me doing the work. I had to have my eyes open. I had to have my eyes open to be able to see and understand. And believe you me, I've only seen a small little bit. But what I've seen is the most beautiful thing that I want to go after. 
And it's through weakness that we can enter. Through weakness. It's the exact opposite to the way I was brought up as a Christian. It's through weakness. It's a new mode of operation where everything changes. Our sight, our thinking, our listening, our understanding, our responses, our love for him and our love for each other. So amazing. So why did Paul go back to the very basics? To get those foundations correct. He's building line upon line, precept upon precept. As I said, otherwise we will get stuck at the very beginning and being not able to come into that mature state. So why, why are we focusing on some of this? What do you often hear Christians talk about? Am I really saved? One minute they are, one minute they're not. One minute they are, one minute they're not. Have I really been forgiven? How can I forgive someone else if they've hurt me? Who am I in Christ? God doesn't love me like those anointed people. I don't deserve to be loved after what I did. These are all things that even some of us, even me, I've gone through things at times where I've had to question things in my mind. But it's so foundational that God wants to get these things sorted in our own hearts. I am saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood has set me free. He's paid for all my sin. The things of the past have been dealt with, full stop, end of story. And I'm coming more and more into his life as he changes me, as he brings things to light, as he brings things to the surface. And he will bring things to the surface. Why? Because it's there to help you to deal with them so you can be totally set free. And yet we need to have the true work of the cross working in us. It's so powerful. And please hear my heart. I'm not trying to pull anyone down. If, if you're struggling here or there, my heart is toward you. Not to make you feel guilty or shamed or anything like that. The fact is God wants to take you from that state of where you are into a place of stability into a most beautiful place where you, can't, where you won't go backwards and forwards and up and down and being tossed to and fro. That's what our God does. He's not there to hurt you. He's not there to, to, to try and drag you down. He's there to actually bring you up. When you realize that you can't do anything, and that he reaches down and he lifts you up, he takes your feet out of the miry clay and he puts you on a rock. That's the... It's so powerful. Yet we do go through things, and, and the, the waves hit the, you know, uh, things happen that will shake us. But, you know, God's in everything of those things. It's when we think, oh, well, God doesn't love me anymore because I'm going through this. Actually, where did that come from? It wasn't from God. He actually is working us through different issues to bring things to the surface that we can depend and grasp for him. And in him, he does this work in us that walks us through the process to get us through. 
as I said, you know, when I was in pain, he never took the pain away, but he showed me how deep his love was. And I couldn't get to the end of it. It was so beautiful. It really touched me over and over and over again that his love was toward me, not against me. And he changed what I was happening on the inside. See, the price that is paid is an indication of the value of what was purchased. The price that is paid is an indication of the value of what is purchased. Meditate on that for a bit. You are all of great value. It cost our Father his Son, his blood that was shed for you. His blood that was shed. His mercies in you every morning. And he's patiently waiting for us all to respond to his love, to his invitation. Imagine what it would be like if we were all so powerfully and radically changed because we recognized and saw and have a, had a revelation of his love towards us. How different this world would be. It would be Christ-centered, not us-centered. It would be so amazing. 1 John 3, verse 1 to 3 says, Behold, what manner of love is the Father that has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Powerful verses. They're not just words on the page. Powerful verses. We have to receive it by revelation. It has to grip your heart. It has to rip off the blindness that's over our eyes. I just love it in the book of Acts when the people heard Peter preaching. They heard a message that cut them to the heart. And they saw their true state. And they cried out and said, what, what, what must we do to be saved? There was an automatic in here. What must we do to be saved? There was a response to hearing what the word of God was crying out into the streets. And they responded in faith. And they gave their whole lives to Christ. And they were radically and totally changed. It's the same thing for us. We have to hear what God is saying. We have to begin to see what he is showing us. When we see our true state, we can then come into the freedom. Because then we know that it's totally on him that does the work, not on us. And our sin and our lawlessness was dealt with on the cross. We no longer need to carry the guilt and the shame of the past. You know, Corrie Boom, I don't know whether you've heard of Corrie Boom. She was um, a concentration camp survivor, an incredible woman of God. But she was preaching. She lived out of a suitcase. After the war, she lived out of a suitcase, traveling from country to country, cheering about the love of God and particularly forgiveness. Because people were struggling to forgive after the war. Their lives were a mess. There was a lot of hate and anger and frustration. Why did God allow this to happen? But she, she carried this message to so many people. But she did a, an interesting thing. When she went into Japan, I think it was the 1950s or whatever it was, and she took with her a very heavy suitcase. She was struggling with it. She, she brought it in. She knew there was a language barrier, so she wanted to show it with props. 
And she put it down onto a, a table and she opened it up and she brought this thing out and she said, you know, this is unforgiveness. And she brought out another thing and she said this was something else. And she kept on bringing these things out and she tried to demonstrate what it was to be unloading it at the cross. And it was a very, very powerful illustration. And then she looked at her, her, her watch or like that and said, and realized, oh, I've got to catch a plane. And so she just bum, bungled up the whole stuff, put it back in the suitcase, closed the suitcase, and dragged it off. Years later, she met a Japanese pastor who said, I was there when you shared that message, and it was so powerful. And she said, oh, what was it all about? You know, what, what was it that really touched you? Was it the way that I described each item? Was it the way that, uh, you know, she went over all these things? And he, he said, no, it was the last bit where you shoved it all back in the suitcase and dragged it off. It's so true, isn't it? We come to the cross of Christ, we unload our burdens, and then just as we get up, we pull them back on again and we carry on as if we've never been changed. And yet God has forgiven us. Can we let it go? This is just foundational stuff, but boy, I have to be reminded of it. Hebrews 6.19 says, The hope that we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. An anchor. The hope that we have. It's about stability. God wants to bring stability in our lives, that we're not tossed to and fro, and only he can bring that stability. We can't him. So when the storms come, we are free. We can rejoice. We can be at peace. We can love when everything's been thrown back at us because he's the anchor. We're not tossed to and fro. That's the work that he does in us. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Ephesians 4.13-14 says, talks about the maturity, no longer be children being tossed to and fro which we will cover a little bit later on. You know, it was so powerful. We, we had uh, a group round at our place um, last week, and not everybody knew each other. So what I did was I got to ask the people about their testimony. And it was really a very powerful and beautiful time because each testimony on how they came to know the Lord was quite unique and quite different. And so powerful. Your testimony is so powerful about the work God has done in you. And it was just, it was just lovely hearing their stories, how they came to know the love of Christ, when a lot of them were walking the opposite direction, and how God intercepted them. But it was more than that. I said that was, it was a, it was a wonderful time, but I also said to them, you know, that's only the beginning. You know, God's given us a testimony. As we go on this process, God will give you a testimony for every day for what he is doing in you. Sometimes we think our testimony is just what happened back then. But it's more than that. It's what he is doing in us now. That's the greatest testimony. It's sad, but I, know, I remember some people that were very, very knowledgeable that uh, were going down a certain way. When you ask them about what is it that God's doing in you, they couldn't answer. 
they'd quote a whole lot of scriptures, they'd, they'd tell a whole lot of uh, Hebrew um, traditions and things like that, which is nice to know. But what is it that God's doing in you? What can you testify about what God's doing in you? Yet they couldn't see. They couldn't answer it. What is God doing in us? I'm almost finished. What, what is the time? I've <laughs> yeah. Then it goes on about the riches of his grace. Ephesians 4, 2, 4. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Uh, says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not that anyone should boast. I'm not going to say too much about the grace. Grace is powerful, his love towards us. Because in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 11, I think it is, talks about grace. It's the most beautiful, powerful part, and I just don't want to take too much away from there. But when you start to come into the revelation of the grace towards us, man, it moves you. It really moves us. It's the favor. It's the close. It's forgiveness, salvation. It's regeneration. It's repentance. The love of God that we don't deserve has been freely given to us. Grace is also divine empowerment, his enablement in us to be able to do the stuff he's asked us to do. There's so much tied up with grace. And our heart, our response should be one of love and thankfulness. I can't get over how grateful, how thankfulness is such a key for everything. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was within me. The grace of God in me. So you, you receive grace, but then you work out of the grace in, her, in us. His grace in us. So he made us abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. There's so much more that, that I could go on, but just to know that his love abounds towards us. It's lavish. It's rich with all wisdom and prudence. Prudence means insight or understanding. There's so much that God has given to us on offer. We just have to receive it. When we recognize how weak we are, that we can't do it, and we surrender to him fully, and then he starts to do the work in us, we come into such life and freedom that we come into that rested state, that we, we allow him to start doing the work in us. It's so amazing. So the summary, basically, our lives in Christ is not just a starting position, but it's our whole entire life moment every day, not a one-off event. Redemption, salvation, being saved. You know, we'd be being prepared for an eternal process or eternal purpose. The adoption, the Roman adoption rules, and how we're adopted, we, you know, brought in a family, we cannot be killed and we cannot lose our inheritance. We can lose rewards, but our inheritance is who? Christ. We think of inheritance stuff. 
gold and silver, homes, mansions, cars, money. But it's him. In him is all that we need. Everything is found in him. He is our all. Forgiveness, which is foundational, the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, that is, has to have its work done in us for us to come into that position and the grace that abounds towards us. Boy, what a lot on offer for us. And we didn't have to do anything apart from our heart responding and repentance and humbling ourselves and allowing him to do the work. Wow, what privileged children we are. Amen. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for just when we think about all that you have done for us. Lord, we are so grateful, so thankful. Oh, God, we look back and we say, oh, God, may our foundations be in you, not in what we can do or what we can try and do or what we try and fix up. But may there be such a freedom for us to come into as we lay it down and allow you to do the work, this deep work in us. So, Father, I pray for the foundations that are within our lives through the redeeming blood of the Lamb, that the work of the cross would do its work totally in us. That it's no longer about us, but it's about you living in us and through us and working in us. Father, we thank you. As we discuss around the table, Father, I pray for, Lord, meaningful conversations that will actually challenge and change us and to bring us into more of who you are. We've been saved. We're being saved. Sorry, we, we have been saved. We are saved. And we are being saved. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.